Welcome to Staying Afloat, a podcast for the float nurse. Do you float all throughout your hospital or system? Then this podcast is for you. Our goal is to bring you content that will enhance your practice. This is Cheryl Williams, and today we are talking with Andrea Light, the Regional Trauma Program Manager for Trauma at Mount Carmel Health System and Mount Carmel East in particular. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Cheryl. This morning, we're going to be talking about trauma. My first question for you, Andrea, is what is the history of trauma at Mount Carmel? How long has it been here? How has it grown, moved, changed? Yeah, absolutely. So trauma started actually at Mount Carmel West, which was our downtown location. Um, Unfortunately, it's no longer around. I say unfortunately because that's where I grew up. So it's a little sad that it's not there anymore. Uh, But the effort started in 1999 to become a trauma center. There's a process that you have to go through with the American College of Surgeons. Um, So they actually became verified in 2001 as a level two adult trauma center and uh, continued on until 2018. And that is when we moved the program from Mount Carmel West to Mount Carmel East. You know, we identified that there was a big gap in trauma care on the east side of Columbus. And so we moved our program on August 8th of 2018 at 8 (laughs) a.m. We did that very purposefully, so I'll never forget it. And, And then we sunsetted the program here at Mount Carmel West. Okay. So what are the requirements to become a trauma hospital in the state of Ohio? Yeah, so there is a book published by the American College of Surgeons. It's called Resources for Optimal Care of the Injured Patient. And that has all of the standards in there that we're required to meet. Um, So you'll have things in there from programmatic requirements, like you have to have a trauma medical director, program manager, um, things like performance improvement and patient safety, You have to have a trauma registry where we submit our data to the region, the state, and nationally to the National Trauma Data Bank and the Trauma Quality Improvement Program, where we're then benchmarked with our data and quality metrics against other trauma centers in the country. Um, You obviously have to have trauma surgeons. You have to have other types of specialties like orthopedics, neurosurgery, and you have to have liaisons from those programs who are very active with the trauma program and help us to develop clinical practice guidelines and make sure we're following those. Um, You know, your OR has to have a backup team um, at all times and just really working collaboratively collaboratively with all the different departments to give that optimal care to our trauma patients. So it's really being a trauma center is all about having the right resources and the right people at the right time for our patients. Okay. Now, I understand that there's different levels of trauma centers. There's a level one, a level two, a level three. So what are the differences between those? Yeah, there are differences. So to be a level one trauma center, the big differences are that you have volume requirements. So you have to admit at least 1,200 patients a year, and you have to have research. Um, So the newest requirement says you have to publish 10 peer-reviewed articles, and do four scholarly activities in a three-year period. So that can be really tricky if you don't have designated research staff doing that all the time. And then your level twos basically are clinically equivalent to a level one. Twos are expected to be able to evaluate and treat 
the same patience that a level one does. So anything that comes through your doors, you have to be prepared for. Uh, twos just may not be able to admit everything. So maybe there are some subspecialties that they don't have. Um, so things like not everybody does um, reattachments for amputations. If Maybe they don't have the microvascular capabilities. Or maybe there's some really specific neurosurgical things they're not able to do. So those things may have to be transferred out. And then your level threes, uh, anymore, are a lot like the level twos. Uh, they don't have to have all of the specialties, though, so they don't necessarily have to do neurosurgery, and they can have some limited orthopedic capabilities. There's also some differences in the response time for the trauma surgeon, OR and anesthesia coming in. They have a little bit longer than the ones and twos have because theoretically those people could take call from home. Okay. So what level are we here we, at Mount Carmel? Yep, we are a level two adult trauma center. Any thoughts of going towards that level one? We have definitely thought about it. Uh, it does take more resources. It does take the, the research staff um, to really make sure that we're getting those articles completed, the studies completed and published. You know, we would need to look at do we have all of the specialists that we need, or are we just going to need to have some transfer agreements with some of the other hospitals if there's something that we're not able to do? But I do think that it is a goal of this, this program at some point. Now, what qualifies a patient as being a trauma? So there's a couple different answers to that. It depends on if you are talking about a trauma activation patient versus who are the patients who are included in our trauma registry, and I can cover both of those. So as far as our trauma alerts or trauma activations, we have trauma um, activation criteria for category ones versus category twos. So your category one patients, there's typically something wrong with their primary survey or primary assessment. So that A, B, C, D, E part of your trauma survey. Um, so they've got an airway problem, breathing, circulation, disability, you know, their GCS is eight or less or something like that. These are also your patients that um, are like penetrating trauma to the head, neck, torso, crush injuries, potential paralysis. These are your most severely injured patients. And then your category twos, Usually it's more based on mechanism of injury. So they may not have obvious injuries or something crazy going on with their assessment, but based on what they just went through, the amount of energy or force that their body absorbed, they're very high risk for injury. So these could be things like a rollover MVC or death in the same vehicle in the same compartment, fall from a high height, um, depressed GCS, but it's not quite that eight or less territory. And so the big thing with our category ones and twos is getting the right people and the right resources to the right place at the right time for that patient. So with your category ones, your attending trauma surgeon has to be there within 15 minutes, no matter what. OR response. That way, if we're having to do a thoracotomy or take that patient to the OR, they're there to help facilitate that. With our category twos, you don't have quite as many people who respond. So not quite as many nurses or techs. Uh, it, could be, it could be a senior surgical resident or an APP who runs that category two. 
and OR doesn't respond. So it's both severity of injury and the resources used for those trauma alerts. Um, we also, we see other trauma patients that aren't trauma alerts. So they may be seen in the ED by the ED physician like normal. And then, you know, they learn based on the injuries that they're seeing, hey, trauma should probably be involved in this. And so we'll come down and see them and then admit them. On the trauma registry side of things, which is probably not the way most nurses think, and it took me a while to learn this too, is there's this whole ICD-10 code range that we use based on their diagnoses. And that helps us to determine whether they meet trauma registry criteria. And so then that is the information that then goes into our registry that we use for research. It drives our quality program. We send that those numbers to finance. That's what goes out to the state and nationally as well. Most people don't know about it, but it really drives a lot of our efforts. So anytime we're like, hey, do we have a problem with this? Like I've been noticing in this subset of patients that this is happening. We can pull that data, take a look into it, take a deep dive and decide, hey, you, you know what? We do have a problem. This is something we need to work on. We need to do a PI project or do some education. So it's pretty fascinating. All right. So trauma patient comes into our hospital, what kind of units or where could that trauma patient go? Yeah, absolutely. So they could go to a variety of places. So not every trauma alert patient that comes in ends up needing admitted. You know, sometimes people are just very lucky and they went through something that had a lot of force and energy, but Fortunately, they were able to walk away fairly unscathed. So sometimes they just go back out to the ED, and then we continue to evaluate them and see if they can go home. Uh, but most of the trauma patients, they will be admitted, at least overnight. So the common units that they'll go to at Mount Carmel East would be uh, the STICU, so the surgical trauma ICU, or the neuro ICU, the NSICU. And then um, we have a couple step-down units like the SIMCU and the neurointermediate. Um, they could also go to Three Tower Ortho. So those are really the main units that we're using right now. We've had some discussions with the ops unit to see if we could use that unit a little creatively, um, but that hasn't quite gotten there just yet. Is there any special education that the nurses caring for these patients have to have? Definitely. Uh, and the American College of Surgeons expects us to have a pretty robust education plan for our nurses. So depending on where you work, then it's targeted for that population of patients that you see. So the emergency department nurses will take a course called TNCC, which stands for Trauma Nursing Core Course. And that really talks about that initial resuscitation of the trauma patient as they come into the trauma bay. It talks about that team response the primary secondary survey, the head to toe, identifying all the injuries and interventions that need to be done. Um, another course that the ED nurses take is trauma tactics, which is our own kind of homegrown course that we've done here at Mount Carmel. We've been teaching that since 2015, and it's a simulation based course. So it has a lot of similarities to TNCC, but rather than just sitting and listening to lecture all day, um, you're doing a combination of lecture and simulation and doing that hands-on and really learning what it's like to work in that trauma team environment. Uh, and then there, for the ICU nurses, 
There's a couple different options. They can take TNCC or trauma tactics. A good course that builds upon that then is called Trauma in the First 48 Hours. That's a course that is taught through COTS that each of the Central Ohio Trauma Centers take turns teaching at their sites. It's a one-day course that's all simulation, and it focuses on the complications and sequelae that happen with trauma patients in their first 48 hours. Um, so things like abdominal compartment syndrome, managing massive transfusion protocol, different things like that. And then another course that's great for ICU nurses is a course called TCAR, and that stands for Trauma Care After Resuscitation. And the one we're currently offering is um, self-paced online. And it's a great course, again, after you've taken TNCC or Trauma Tactics, it kind of picks up where those courses leave off on the inpatient side. So what happens after that patient's been resuscitated and now they're on your unit? Um, so that's another great one for the ICU nurses. We do offer some simulation. So the ED every other month on the even months does some trauma simulations. And so sometimes we'll use real life scenarios that we've had, or we just kind of make up something fun. Sometimes over the holidays, we do something fun, like grandma got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> at Christmas time. Um, and so we've had a lot of fun with that. And that's a great way for the ED and the trauma teams to work together, get to know each other, learn the new faces, you know, talk about team dynamics, things like closed loop communication that are so important in that room. Well, that's great. That sounds like fun. I think maybe December coming, I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> when December comes, I'll come down and, and join the fun. There you go. Since trauma has been at Mount Carmel East, how has it grown? It has grown a lot. So when we were at Mount Carmel West, and keep in mind, if you know anything about the geography in Columbus, uh, Mount Carmel West was kind of on that western edge of downtown, and we were near a lot of other trauma centers. So we had Grant on the other side of the river downtown. Uh, just north of us, we had OSU and we had Riverside. Uh, so we saw about 1,500 trauma patients a year, all comers to our registry, admitted probably around 1,100 a year. We moved to Mount Carmel East in 2018, and within about 12 to 18 months, we had nearly doubled our trauma volumes. So we were seeing 2,800, 2,900 patients, which was a lot of growth in a very short amount of time. So you can imagine the uh, growing pains that happened with that. But it's been really neat to see um, how we've been able to serve that community, to see the trust that EMS has in us, uh, and just and just how trauma is different on that side of town, too. Uh, you know, when we were here downtown, we did have more penetrating trauma, which I think is kind of the sexier side of trauma that people think of when they think of trauma alert kind of patients. But we don't get that quite as much on the east side. We get a lot of falls, a lot of geriatric falls, um, we get a lot of MVCs, motor vehicle collisions. I remember when we were getting ready to move and everyone's telling me, oh, you're going to get so many MVCs on this side of town. And I was like, well, I don't understand why that's going to be any different than when we were here downtown. You know, we had, what, 71, 315, 70, I-670, all right here. And I was like, well, how's it any different out there? They're like, well, we're right there at 70 and 270, and then we've got all these rural roads out there. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll see. Well, they were right. <laughs> I'm eating crow um, because we get a lot. And we because we're the only trauma center out there, if it's a multi-car MVC, we might get everybody 
from that accident. And so we'll have three, four trauma alerts all at once. What can we do as nurses or support staff for our trauma system? Is there something that we can do to support trauma at Mount Carmel? That's a great question. So there there are a lot of extra things to being a trauma center. So everybody thinks about the patient care, but there are a lot of other pieces and parts of being a trauma center. So we're expected to do education and outreach in the community with our EMS partners. Um, So there are opportunities to offer things like Stop the Bleed, which is a course that we do in the community, a lot along the lines of like bystander CPR, um, where we teach them, you know, hands only, compressions only. That way they can take care of that patient while they're waiting on EMS to arrive. So it's a similar idea with bleeding patients. So we know that patients can bleed out and die within four minutes. And so it's super important that the community learn how to manage those situations while they're waiting on help to arrive. So teaching direct pressure, wound packing, tourniquets. Um, That's a really fun one for nurses to join in and help teach. Going out to EMS and just telling them, you know, here's what we do. Um, But they also request a, a certain type of education sometimes. So we've got a conference coming up with West Licking Fire Department uh, in June. And there's going to be multiple health systems there, but we're going to have a trauma station and we'll be the ones that are teaching that. So that's another fun opportunity. Okay. Well, it sounds like there's a lot there. Now for our main audience, first choice nurses or our float nurses for the system, what is it that they can do or how are they supporting the trauma program? Yeah, so our first choice nurses are really important, right? So they are filling a great need in our system of when our different units are short and need some help. So we really expect them to to jump right in and take care of our trauma patients, um, just like the rest of the nurses in those departments. So you know, I, I really appreciate them listening to this program, um, you know, any education that they're able to take for trauma. And I know your department's working on that. You know, TNCC, Trauma Tactics, TCAR, Trauma in the First 48 are all really great classes to take. Um, those of the, the nurses that work in the emergency departments, I think it'd be really great if they could join in on those ED trauma sims. That's another great opportunity. But we just really see them as part of the, the big team. You know, even though they may go to different sites, they may not be at Mount Carmel East all the time. They're still part of the Mount Carmel East trauma team. And we really appreciate them. Thank you, Andrea, for spending some time with me today. And for all our listeners, trauma is an important part of things within Mount Carmel and especially at Mount Carmel East. Any of the first choice nurses that are interested in some additional education, please reach out. And thank you for listening and have a great day.